Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. Oh man, we need him, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it is good to be with you all here this morning. I'm glad that you've chosen to join us and worship with us on Memorial Day weekend. We're certainly thankful for all of those who have served our country and who have sacrificed their lives for us and for our freedoms to be able to be here and to worship Him in freedom and truth. And so we're so grateful for that opportunity. If this is your first time, if you're a guest with us, I want to say thank you for being here. For those worshiping online, we're grateful for you as well. And it's a, it's a joy to get to worship the Lord this weekend. If you have a Bible, I hope you do. We're going to be in Matthew 5. So go ahead and grab that. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26 this morning. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. You know, I'll never forget when I was, uh, had been accepted into a university. I had the opportunity to go and meet with a counselor, planning out my classes and all of those things. I had little to no understanding of what all that meant. And so I went and sat with a, an admissions counselor, and she planned out my, my classes all to help me. Uh, achieve academic success and uh, while I was visiting with her she said she mentioned this phrase prerequisites I was lucky to be able to say that so I'm thankful that she laid out what that meant and simply what that is is you would take some uh, some classes some courses so that you were prepared to successfully handle some upper level classes Essentially, you needed a working body of knowledge over some sort of material in order and be, be able to, 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 to understand all of that so that you would understand and, and, and do well in your upper-level classes. There are prerequisites. Well, last week was a prerequisite to what we're going to be talking about this week and on into the months ahead. And so if you remember right, I want to uh, recall to your mind what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about first and foremost that Jesus came to this earth not to abolish the law of the prophets, but rather to fulfill them. And we talked about what does it mean for Jesus to fulfill the law? Well, simply what that means is that he in and of himself is a continuation of the story between God and his people. As a matter of fact, that story finds its climax in his person, in the very work of Jesus on the cross for you and for me. We talked about the fact that Jesus satisfies the righteous requirement on your behalf and my behalf on the cross. Remember, uh, Jesus says, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. We establish the fact that there is no way that you or I can do that, and so we look to Jesus. We say, Jesus, I need you as he comes to this earth, hangs on a cross, and purchases your righteous requirement on your behalf. And so Jesus comes, he establishes a new kingdom. And in this kingdom, he alone is king. He establishes a new law, which is Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Is That's Jesus establishing this new law for his followers to live in the world and not be of the world. But we also talked about the idea that this is not possible to live in this kingdom. It's not possible to follow him apart from two things. Maybe you recall what those are. The first one is saving faith in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. If you have not done that, what we are going to talk about today and on into the months ahead, you are going to realize that I can't do this. 
So apart from saving faith, the second thing is, apart from the indwelling Spirit of God, if you do not have the Spirit of God, you have little to zero hope in actually living these things out. And so last week was a compelling call for anybody who does not know Christ to come to Him, to experience the, the receiving of the Holy Spirit so that you can truly live as Ezekiel and Jeremiah prophesied long, long, long time ago, a new heart, a heart that beats for Him, right? A heart that, that, that is able, as, as they say, to live in obedience to God and His Word. Now, as we come to this text this morning, we're going to be talking about two things, okay? So we're going to be talking about the danger of anger, okay? So we're talking about the danger of anger. And then secondly, we're going to be talking about the power of reconciliation. So the danger of anger and the power of reconciliation. So if you got your word, you got the word of God here, if you got your Bible handy, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. If you would stand, if you're willing to enable, stand in honor of the reading God's word here. This is the word of the Lord. This is Jesus speaking, beginning in verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But notice this in verse 22. But I say, the law says, but I fulfilled the law, so now I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Simply just means that you will be guilty of judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Here's what Jesus says in verse 24. This is important. He says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then, and then, only then, come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. For truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The danger of anger and the power of reconciliation. That was a helpful, helpful definition here. John Henderson, he's a biblical counselor. He defines anger this way. I think it's helpful. He says that anger is an emotional response to a perceived wrong. It is a feeling of outrage when perceiving or meditating upon an injustice. In this particular context, Henderson argues that Jesus is speaking to, he's referring to an emotional response to a perceived wrong or injustice within a relationship. So that being said, I have a pop quiz for you. You ready? Everybody like pop quizzes? You didn't know you were going to school this morning, did you? All right, here's your pop quiz. I got four questions for you, okay? So as it relates to anger, I've got four questions. Two of them are going to be, I'm going to ask, actually ask you to respond, okay? I know that's dangerous. The second two are rhetorical, and you're not going to answer those because they might cast judgment on you, so, so don't raise your hand on that one, okay? All right, number one, here we go. Here's the first question. How many of us have, how many of us have, have had someone or something done to us that we perceive to be an injustice or a wrong? In other words, 
How many of you could say that you have been individually sinned against, hurt, or wounded by another person in the last 12 to 18 months? Let me see a show of hands. Feel like somebody has wronged you, wounded you. All right, it's a lot of hands. Good, you're, you're, you're passing. Number two, number two on the other hand, here we go. How many of us have done something that could have been perceived as an injustice or a wrong to another? For example, how many of you have individually sinned against, hurt, or wounded another person in some way or form in the last 12 to 18 months? Be honest. You got to be honest here. I want to see those hands. Everybody honest? Good. Church is a safe place to be honest. We can be honest. Okay, now number three. Here's your rhetorical questions. Don't raise your hand on this one. Don't raise your hand on this one. How many of you have gone out of your way to be reconciled to the person that you have hurt? Or how many of you have sought to be reconciled with the person that has wronged you? Think about that. It's a hard question. How many of us have sought reconciliation for something that we have done to somebody else? Or how many of us have sought out reconciliation with someone who has actually hurt us? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Number four, last question. Simple question. How is that working out for you? You laugh because you know it's true. How's it working out for you? How, how is it working out for you not being reconciled in the relationships in which you live, work, and play? How's that working out for you? See, what I think that this little quiz helps us do this morning is to see what Jesus already knows about you and me. And that is that anger impacts every one of us, doesn't it? Anger impacts every last one of us. If you were to look across the room, just about everybody raised their hand, whether it was I have had somebody wrong me or I have wronged somebody, all of us, to one degree or another, are impacted by anger. Now here's what we know about anger. Anger has a pattern. First, it just begins, man, I'm angry. And then that anger leads to frustration, doesn't it? Oh, I'm just angry. I'm upset at this person. I can't believe that they would do that to me. I can't believe that they would say those things about me. And then that leads to a thing called bitterness. Now, bitterness is pretty brutal because here's what happens. Once our anger goes from anger to bitterness, all of a sudden, now it has a grip on us. It has a grip on you. It has a grip on me. In fact, here's one thing that I would argue is that anger is actually destroying you from the inside out. And here's the reason why. Anger is like cancer. It's like cancer. Unless it is aggressively treated, it only gets worse over time and it begins to pervade your entire life. And many of us are content with allowing anger to pervade our lives. But here's the deal, it gets even worse than that. Not only does it impact you, but it also impacts everybody around you, doesn't it? That's true. Anger is like a cancer. Unless we aggressively treat it, it begins to impact everything in our life. It impacts the way we work. It impacts the way that we love other people. It impacts the way that we, it impacts our home life. It impacts everything about us. And hear me, anger is a huge problem in the church. It's like Jerry Bridges says, it, it, it's a respectable sin. 
right? It's one of those ones that we can kind of put away in the closet and just forget about. But in reality, the more that we forget about it, the more that it's impacting you, the more that it's impacting those in your life that you are closest to. And I think that's exactly why Jesus takes it so seriously. And notice, it's the very first issue that Jesus deals with in his Sermon on the Mount. I would say it's a pretty big priority for Jesus, wouldn't you? I think so. In verse 21, he says, You have heard it what is said to those of old that you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But then he says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be guilty, will be liable to judgment. Jesus says, Look, we all know the sixth commandment that says do not murder. But then Jesus makes a level playing field with murder and anger. He says, for you to even have anger in your heart is simply to murder someone. Why is that? Well, it's what we talked about last week. Remember, Jesus is not content. He is not satisfied with your external obedience. But he is going after your heart. He's going after your heart. He's not satisfied with the work of your hands or even your thoughts, but rather Jesus is going after your heart, the motive of your heart. For the act of murder is born out of anger in the heart. It's amazing. Jesus goes after our hearts. He's not content with our words or our outward obedience, but he is, con- he, he is concerned with our hearts. But then here in verse 22, here's what Jesus does. He makes a direct connection between the anger in our heart and our words. He makes a connection between the anger of our hearts In our words, in verse 22, he says, whoever insults, meaning a verbal abuse, whoever verbally abuses his brother or sister will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, notice what he says, he says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Don't you find that interesting, right? That Jesus draws this connection between anger in our hearts and our words. Why do you think he does that? I think it's because oftentimes the first place that our anger shows up is in our words, isn't it? It's in what we say. But you know what? I don't think it's just in what we say, but I also think it's in what we think. Right? I may not say it. I may have the self-control not to say it to somebody. Right? To spew anger about somebody. But you bet I'm thinking it. I think Jesus is concerned with that. I think he would be concerned not only with our words, but also in our thoughts. But I think if we are honest, it's easy to talk poorly about somebody who has wronged us, isn't it? It's almost therapeutic. Can we be honest? Right? There's like the therapy of like, oh man. It's like we're somehow or another, we're like getting them back. But you know as well as I do that the more that I do that, the more anger is actually impacting me. The more that I talk negatively about somebody, the more that I spew anger about somebody, actually the opposite's happening. See, we think we're in remission, right? This idea, oh man, we're in remission because wow, it feels good to be able to, oh, just, I'm going to get them back. But in reality, that cancer is spreading all over your body to the point where you have little to no control over what is actually taking place in your heart. We think the idea, oh man, it's making me better, but really in the, at the end, it's only doing more to you than it is to them. To that point, I want us to listen to what Jesus says in the mouth in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verse 14, here's what Jesus says. And Jesus called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand this. 
There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered into the house and he left the people, his disciples asked him about a parable. And here's what he said. Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. And then he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things, all these evil things come from within, and it's those that defile a person. Listen, I want you to hear this this morning, that we are not sinners because we sin. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. The Bible says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Who could understand them, the prophet Jeremiah said? Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. The idea of trust your heart. Well, that's not biblical. Because if you were to trust your heart, what happens? It's going to lead you astray. It's deceitfully wicked. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, speaking to the religious leaders of his day, this is what Jesus says. He said, it's out of the abundance of the heart that our mouth speaks. Here's the point. What comes out of your mouth functions as a window of what's happening in your heart. If you want to know what's going on in your heart, listen to what's coming out of your mouth. Listen to what's coming out of your mouth. Listen as to what you're typing on Instagram or on Facebook or on social media. If you want to know what's going on in your soul, according to Jesus, all you need to do is look what's coming out of your mouth. And so what does Jesus require of us? You can see that in verse 23. Jesus gets very practical. He even gives us a couple of steps. In verse 23, here's what he says. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, meaning that you have wronged them. He says, leave your gift at the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge the guard, and you be put in prison. For truly, I say to you that you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. From this, there are two important things that you see. First and foremost, Jesus is addressing both the victim, and then secondly, he is addressing the accused as well. But notice what he does. This is great. You're going to hate me for this. Hey, I'm just telling you what Jesus has already said, okay? Here's what he says. He places on each the responsibility to be reconciled. I want you to notice that. He places, on, he places the responsibility on the victim to go be reconciled to your accuser, but then he also flips the script. He says, hey, if you've been wronged, I hear you, then go be reconciled. This morning, you need to hear that no matter where you stand, whether you have been wronged or somebody has wronged you, What Jesus requires of you, your next steps are to go and to be reconciled with that person. But I want you to see this. There's an immediacy to this, right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, just when it's convenient for you, hey, when you see that person, the next time you see that person, hey, be reconciled. That's not what he says. 
He says literally, get up from your place of worship and leave the room and go be reconciled. There's an immediacy to it. There's an urgency to it that Jesus says simply, not just do it when it's convenient, but do it and do it now. Do it now. It's that important. And you might be saying, well, why? Why Why is it so important that I would be reconciled? Well, I think that I can make the argument that being reconciled in our relationships is actually a part of our worship. It's a part of our worship. See, worship is not all about coming to a service, but it is about a life daily given up to picking up our cross and following Jesus. That's what worship is all about. And listen, it's hard to carry our cross and our grudges at the same time. In fact, I would argue it's impossible. It is incredibly hard to follow Jesus to our death daily, which is what he requires of us if we're holding on to our grudge at the same time. See, what ends up happening is we put one down and we pick up the other. Are you carrying your cross or are you carrying a grudge? I want you to remember this. Worship is the heart's response to who God is and what he has done for us. It's about the most basic definition of worship. It is the heart's response to who God is and what he has done for us. And listen to this. Our willingness to seek out reconciliation in our relationships demonstrates our understanding of God's reconciling work for us. Our desire, our work to reconcile our relationships demonstrates our understanding of the very gospel that says that God, the God of the universe, sent Jesus to this earth he left his throne, he left the right hand of the Father to come to this earth that Ephesians chapter 2 says gave his life for his enemies. And if Jesus could give his life for his enemies, how then can we as Christians not be willing to walk across the room, not be willing to walk across the street, pick up the phone and call mom or dad? How can we not be willing to walk across the classroom just to say, hey, you know what, I'm sorry. Or maybe, hey, you know what, I forgive you. I forgive you. Because of what God has done for me, I forgive you. See, that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel message. It compels you, it compels me this morning to be reconciled to even our enemies. How can we carry the cross and a grudge at the same time? I don't think we can. To this point, one pastor, he wrote this. He said, until we realize through Christ that we've been fully pardoned, declared innocent, accepted without reservation as a delighted-in child by the Father, and have been a means of legitimately removing the burden of our guilt and shame, our fear and anxiety, our anger, abuse, lust, and rebellion, then we are not realistically at a place to seek or risk another's forgiveness. 
until we understand the gospel. That's why I told you last week, unless you understand the righteous requirement of God for you is to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees and to realize that you cannot do it. That money's not going to get you there. The car you drive is not going to get you there. The amount of, of success is not going to get you there until you realize that Christ purchased that for you on the cross. You won't get there until you understand that He gave His life for you so that you can live this life. It's going to be incredibly difficult for you to seek out reconciliation in your relationships. Forgiveness, forgiving one another, is contingent on our understanding of our forgiveness in Christ, but the, also, but the opposite is also true. To ask for forgiveness is directly tied to our receiving God's forgiveness. Maybe you're in the room this morning and you're like, but, but Logan, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. I don't have a clue what you've done. But God does. And God still gave His Son for you. Well, yeah, I get that. I've heard that a lot. But it's, I'm serious. I'm serious. It was at your worst, the Bible says. Romans 5, Romans 5, 8. It was at your worst when Christ gave His life for you. Not at your best, not when you had it all together, but at your worst. He gave his life for you. How then, if Christ has given his life for us, how then can we continue to be angry? How then can we continue to hold a grudge? How then can we allow bitterness to grasp our heart? How can we allow that cancer to continue to pervade our lives and our relationships and all of those around us? I would argue it's the gospel that frees us to live at peace with everyone. Now you may be saying, well, well, goodness, Logan, I've already done that, and they just won't forgive me, or they won't meet with me, or they won't reconcile with me. Well then, here's your steps of action. Here's your step of action in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Here's what Paul says. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You know what, you're right. There may be times when somebody's just unwilling to reconcile with you. But what Paul says is that it is our responsibility. It's our responsibility, not their responsibility, not for me to wait for them to come to me, but for me to go to them. So long as it is up to you, live at peace with everyone. So don't wait. Don't wait for them to come to you. Go to them. So long as it is up to you so that you can sleep at night going, you know what, Lord? Gosh, man, they just weren't willing to reconcile. But you know what? I've done everything that I can possibly do to seek out reconciliation. And then I am going to entrust the rest up to you. That's the demand of Christ on you. That's the righteous requirement of you and me in this room. So long as it is up to you, live at peace with everyone. Listen, as you could tell by that quiz, every one of us, whether we have been wronged or someone has wronged us, every one of us have been impacted by anger. Somebody else's wrongdoing or our wrongdoing. And so this week, here's your challenge. You ready? Yes, I'm going to ask you to do something. Here's your challenge. I want you to leave this place 
and I want you to be reconciled in your relationships. So long as it's up to you, be reconciled in your relationships. And you know what? I'm going to do something crazy. You ready? She always talks back to me. I appreciate it. All right, here's, here's the crazy task. I'm going to take it one step further. You ready? Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, leave your gift at the altar. Go be reconciled and then come back. My challenge for you is don't come back to church next week unless you have been reconciled in your relationships. That's what Jesus is requiring of us, that we would leave our worship here. Go, demonstrate my worship, demonstrate my belief, my trusting in the gospel, to go and to be reconciled, to do all that I can to live at peace with everyone, and then I come back. That's the challenge for us this week. That's the challenge for you, that's the challenge for me, and believe me, i got plenty of people to call. And I bet you do as well. I bet you do as well. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm actually going to move this over here. And here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm actually going to kneel down. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and I'm going to kneel down. This is a, just a demonstration of our heart before the God of the universe. Okay, I'm going to kneel down here. It's a posture of our hearts as we seek the Lord in prayer. Father, as we sang just a moment ago, Lord, we need you. God, it is my desire that these words in this book are not just words, but rather, Lord, they, they impact every bit of our lives. God, these are not just words on a page, but they're from you. They're from Jesus, the very Word of God. God, I pray that we would not leave here as a people unchanged, but God, we would heed your call, we would heed your challenge. God, that we would truly take your word serious, that we would understand the gospel, and the gospel beckons us to not stay the way that we are, but rather to follow Jesus all the way to the cross where we daily give up our lives for you. God, that's our worship. our worship and so this morning I've got three things here that I want you to consider number one I want you to take some time and I just want you to say father help me to see how I have offended you God, help me to see my sin for what it is help me to see the areas where I have offended you Lord So often we're blinded by our own sins. So Lord, help us see, give us clarity to see the chasm that lays between us and you. And then just simply ask Him, 
So Father, help me to understand the forgiveness that has been offered to me in Christ. God, remind me of the great lengths that you have gone to see that I have been reconciled with you. That there no longer exists a chasm between me and you, Lord, because of what Christ has done. Help me to see that. Help me embrace that. And then lastly, just ask that God would soften our hearts. Soften your heart to be eager to be reconciled and live at peace with all people. Worship band, if you go, guys would go ahead and come on up. I'll close with some prayer. Father, it is true that much of the anxiety in our lives, the stress in our lives, has to do with the fact that we are content with living unreconciled with people in our lives. So Lord, I do pray that you would help us to see how we have offended you. God, that you would help us to see the great links that you have gone, to see that we are reconciled with our Father, that we now have a relationship with you. And, and God, I pray that we wouldn't take that for granted. But God, we would live grateful lives because of what you have done for us in Christ. God, just remind us of the beauty of the gospel and how it transforms us from day to day. I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, that when we behold the beauty of Christ, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Lord, would you transform us? God, would you soften our hearts to be eager to reconcile and live at peace with all people? That by the power of your Spirit that you have given us, that we may be quick to hear your conviction. And God, may we be quick to respond in that conviction. God, thank you for the Lord Jesus. We surrender all of all that we have and all that we are over to him. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254 939 0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.